0: You're listening to the Bible Teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, He lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him. Breaks through the wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before he is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O lands, when your king is a child and your princes f- feast in the morning. Happy are you, O lands, when your king is a son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, it's good to be back uh, with you this week. Uh, We're continuing in our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. We are nearing the end here. Now, a couple weeks ago, I shared a little bit about my upbringing and my sort of musical involvement and my history in um, punk rock. But yeah, but there's an earlier, before you woohoo, there's an earlier, slightly more embarrassing part of my musical history. Um, I still remember my first trip to the record store to purchase a single uh, before days of streaming, before Napster, to get music. You needed to listen to the radio, or you had to purchase an album. You had to spend your money to support artists. And you had two options. You could buy the uh, full record, you know, the LP, or you could buy the single or the EP, which would typically be like a radio hit, maybe two radio hits, maybe a bonus track, like an instrumental just thrown in there to make you feel like you spent your money on something important. So I had just a few bucks, and my brother and I went to the singles section, which sounds like something else, the section that you buy singles at uh, Warehouse Music, I still remember Warehouse Music. Um, My brother walked away with Black Street's No Diggity, which, solid choice, probably in hindsight a little bit inappropriate for us, like, bag it up, what does that mean? Uh, solid choice, but I, on the other hand, walked away with Alanis Morissette's famous single, Ironic. <laughs> Told you, this is a little bit embarrassing, being vulnerable right now. And um, which, if you know the song, it's not all that ironic, actually, and it's a series of reflections about the sort of absurd nature of life. Now, say what you want to say about the song or about Alanis Morissette, but it's probably the best example of why the book of Ecclesiastes is still relevant and extremely necessary language for the life that we live in today. Um, it, It really is an expression of the soul and some of the questions that we have about life. And the song actually sounds like it could be a chapter out of the book of Ecclesiastes, so I'll read a few portions from that song. An old man turned 98, he won the lottery, and he died the next day. It's like a black black fly, hello, it's like a black fly in your Chardonnay. It's a death row pardon two minutes too late. Mr. Play It Safe was afraid to fly. He packed his suitcase and kissed his kids goodbye. He waited his whole damn life to take that flight and as the plane crashed down he thought, well isn't this nice? A traffic jam when you're already late, a no smoking sign on your cigarette break, It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. It's like meeting the man of your dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife, uh, which just happened to be uh, Uncle Joey from Full House, ironically. Um, Well, life has a funny way of sneaking up on you when you think everything's okay and everything's going right. Here in Ecclesiastes, the preacher gathers his hearers sort of like a wise sage would gather his students around to tell us about what he's seen. I have seen, I have seen. It's a repeated phrase in this chapter. And what he has observed is the strange and often unexpected nature of life under the sun. I've seen some things, he says, and those things are very strange. So where we're going to begin today is with reflections on life. Reflections on life. Now, this chapter is hard to understand, and I have to admit, it's even harder to teach because, in a lot of ways, these are very random reflections. There are some repeated words. There are some repeated phrases. But if you step back, there's no, like, overall theme. There's not, like, a clear uh, direction of thought. Instead, it's a collection of ideas regarding a number of topics, like fools, fools. Rulers, strength, words, wisdom, workplace accidents, snakes, pits, rumors, flies. What? But in a lot of ways, it actually feels, if you think about it, it feels like an authentic experience of sitting down on the porch and listening to someone who is older and wiser as they ruminate as they sort of bounce from topic to topic, discussing all that they've seen in life, the way things are, not some well-organized, ideal version of the way things should be, but like the way things are. An honest reflection on how things seem to work in the world that we live in. For instance, one of the reflections is about the fragile nature of things. Life can be beautiful, but like beautiful things, they can also be easily marred. And as we know, it typically takes far less effort to ruin something than it does to create something, just the way it is. You can spend your whole life working towards something and then it comes crashing down in just a moment. Life is beautiful, but it's fragile. Look at me again in verse one. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now, there's a genre within art called still life. Uh, still life with this, still life with that, and it highlights these staged items that are often symbolic. Each item means something. For instance, there's a, a, a picture called Still Life with l- uh, Melon and Grapes. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful arrangement of flowers and plants and fruit. But if you look closely, what is there on the melon? I can't hear you. There's a fly. So you have this big, beautiful arrangement, and then this dirty, garbage-loving, uninvited guest that comes and lands right on this beautiful melon. Now I would say tasty, but everyone knows cantaloupe is disgusting. But right on this beautiful arrangement. And I don't know about you, but this picture is so relatable because the smallest things can single-handedly ruin something so beautiful. A dead fly in the ointment, a hair in your meal. You're like, "Ah, how many hairs did I already eat? Take it back, send it back. I remember chowing away at a burrito from a taco truck and getting about halfway through it and finding a little cockroach in my burrito. Turns out uh, Roach Coach is actually an apropos uh, description. Um, But you better believe, I did not finish that burrito. And then I thought to myself, how many did I already eat? What was going on? The smallest thing can single-handedly ruin something so beautiful. And the preacher says, so it is with wisdom. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A little bit of foolishness can undermine a lifelong reputation it's just that way he mentions things like rulers who lose their temper their temper rulers are important but they are all they're also very temper, temperamental and you can't change that about their personality you can't change rulers and he says sometimes you just have to wait it out or he talks about falling into pits which is a way of describing you know, digging our own graves. What he's essentially saying is life is full of, full of pitfalls and we're often the ones that dug them. Or being bit by snakes. So random. But in the ancient world, to be bit by snake a snake meant that there was something sinister about you. It meant that you were either unlucky or you were evil. We, we have superstitious things like this regarding dogs today, right? If your dog like barks at someone or doesn't like someone, you're like, I don't trust you. There's something about you. Well, in the ancient world, they thought that way about snakes. If snakes bit you, they were like, What's, what have you done in your life to deserve that? But the reality is that snakes bite you. Like snakes do snake things, and you may have deserved it, and maybe you didn't. Who knows? Also, he reflects on chopping wood, which requires wisdom and patience to sharpen the axe. So there's an old adage that has, it was believed to be Abraham Lincoln who said it, that if you give me six hours... To chop down a tree, I'll spend the first four hours sharpening the axe. It requires wisdom and patience to sharpen the axe. But when you sharpen the axe, it also becomes a liability and it's more dangerous and you may even hurt yourself now. It just comes with the territory. He observes something that happens in every generation. And it's that unqualified people are put in positions that they're just not prepared for and they ruin it for everyone. Everyone loves the underdog story until it's your boss. Everyone loves, like I love the equal opportunity and seeing people advance until they're in charge of your workplace and you're like, bring the Ivy League people, come on. (laughs) Even get cynical about money, right? We tell our children, we explicitly tell our children that money isn't everything and he's like, come here, let me tell you something, it actually is. It actually is. And finally, he reflects on how secrets are never safe. I don't know if you caught that, but what he's saying is even pillow talk, words spoken in the secret of your own bedroom, can be overheard by a little birdie. That's where we get the phrase, a little birdie told me, by the way, who will fly fast without rumor. Sometimes your secret isn't even safe with them. Wisdom is valuable, but it's also vulnerable. Nature is beautiful, but it's also brutal. Rulers are necessary, but they're extremely unstable. So, what's the point behind all of these random reflections? Is he is the preacher just being cynical about life? Is he like that uncle that just says random things and you're like, "All right, okay, that's enough. Come on, kids, let's go talk to grandma. That's enough." Remember, one of the main goals of Ecclesiastes, and here's the point, one of the main goals of the book of Ecclesiastes is to give us such an honest view of life, a reality check that is so brutally honest and bold that we're then forced to admit that life under the sun is simply too unreliable to place our trust in it. What part of that progression of life is worthy of your trust. It's too fragile to place your weight, the weight of your soul on it. It's too fleeting and unpredictable to stake your future on it. A a 17th century philosopher named Blaise Pascal once came up with this idea called the wager, and it's simple yet brilliant. He essentially said that we're all wagering our lives and our future On something. We're all staking everything on something, looking for someone or something that is steady and sure that we can rely upon. Everyone is betting, he said, on something consciously or not. It doesn't matter what you think you believe. You are betting on something. You and I are looking to something to bring us joy, to bring us freedom, to bring us a stable future, to deliver us. And in such an unreliable existence under the sun, why? Why, the preacher would ask, would you stake your life and future on anything or anyone? But you see, the hope of the gospel is that we don't have to. We've been offered a better option, one that is found beyond the sun, and this is where the the preacher is constantly trying to get our attention, above the sun. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter would say it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a dying future, but a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And listen to these words. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept, secured in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So listen. To trust in Jesus Some may ask, what does it mean to believe in Christ? What does it mean to trust in Jesus in a way that saves? Here it is. To trust in Jesus is to bet our lives on a beauty that cannot fade, a purity that cannot be contaminated, a stability that cannot be undermined, an inheritance that can never depreciate, and specifically a savior, that will never fail us. And so to use the language, and to boldly use the language of the preacher here, it is utter folly to look anywhere else. It is utter foolishness to look for that anywhere under the sun. Now it's one, say, one thing to say that we believe that this is true. It's an entirely different thing to live as though this is true. Today, I do want to urge you to believe this, to trust this in your minds and in your hearts. But I also want to urge you and invite you to live as though this is true, to live as though the world really is totally unreliable, as beautiful as it may be. Paul would put it this way don't put your hopes on the uncertainty of wealth. Money is promising. Money does open up doors. But what will it do for you on the day that you die? What stability will it bring for you in eternity? Or the psalmist would say, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save you. Why would you trust in an individual who is going to die and be forgotten and has zero capability of saving you? The point is this. Stop trusting things or people that cannot deliver you. Now remember, these are reflections, and they're not just his reflections. The preacher's inviting us to reflect upon our lives as well. And so I want to ask you some questions just sort of midway here. What are you trusting? Who are you putting your trust in? Who is that person that you may love and admire or may, are hoping that they will somehow give to you what only God can give to you? What things or people have you made an idol out of? Which means taking anything, whether it's a bad thing or a good thing, and making it an ultimate thing. How may God be opening your eyes to see the frailty of the things that are in your life? Or maybe even, how is God opening your eyes to see the failure of the people in your life so that you would entrust yourself to God alone again? We resent disappointment, but I want, you to, I want to reframe disappointment because in God's economy, disappointment is a grace. Disappointment is a gift from God to lift your trust beyond the sun again. Disappointment is God's kind reminder You've been trusting something that can't save you. Reflections on life. Let's look secondly at the roads that we travel. The roads we travel. Now, despite the fact that you will not be able to control how things are in the world and you will never be able to master or manipulate any of the disorder that exists because of sin and evil that has broken our world, the truth is you will still need to navigate it wisely. We can't single-handedly fix the world, but we do need to remain in the world that God has placed us within. And we've gotta do it wisely. That is the aim of the wisdom literature that we find in the scriptures. It's God's people being trained so that they walk on paths of righteousness. And what we see here is that there are paths, there are gonna be paths that lead to life and flourishing and favor. Words and actions and behaviors and ways of relating with other people that honor God and bring blessing in our lives. And then we also see that there are paths that lead to ruin. Words, actions, thoughts, behaviors, ways of relating to other people that bring embarrassment and regret and lead to getting lost and danger. And even he explains here, and it even leads to insanity. And where we go, the direction that you choose for your life is not ultimately going to be based on the amount of information that you acquire. It's not going to be based on your grit or your determination. It's not going to be based on your family of origin. Stop blaming that as ultimate It's not gonna be based on what was modeled to you by your peers. It's not gonna be based on your education level or your relational status or even your religious affiliation. The direction of your life is going to be determined, listen, by the condition of your heart. It is based on your heart, the seat of your will, the seat of your emotions as the Bible would describe it, the core of your being. Look at me again in verse two. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. We say things like follow your heart. We say things like listen to your heart, but in reality, we already are. No one needs to be encouraged or taught how to do this. No one ever had to teach you to follow your heart. You didn't need that T-shirt from Target reminding you to do so. Never has there been a moment where you're not directed by your heart. Augustine once said, wherever I'm carried, it's my love or my heart that carries me there. And so whatever consumes us, whatever holds our affection, whatever fills our minds with dreams is steering us into life or into ruin. And the preacher says, it's your heart that is inclining either towards the right, which in the ancient world meant strength and honor. We read phrases in the Bible like, come and be seated at my right hand. It meant strength and honor. Or to the left, which in the ancient world was be- believed to be the lesser path or the sinister direction. Now, we all know that directions themselves have no like moral value, so just thought I'd mention that. He's using ancient language. And think about it. It's actually up until like 50, 60, 70 years ago that left-handed children were still like reprimanded because there was something wrong with you if you were using your left hand. So he's, he's using common language to describe strength and honor or evil. And so some reflections again. Where do you gravitate What are you naturally drawn toward? Toward what brings honor to God, toward what strengthens faith and devotion in Him, or toward what brings dishonor to God and weakens your faith and devotion to Him? Are you inclined towards His ways and His truth and His desires, or are you inclined towards your ways, or here's a popular phrase, your truth or your desires? Now, let's be honest. We all know what we are naturally bent toward is our own way. Left up to ourselves, we're gonna go our own way. We can't help that. The Bible says that apart from the intervention of God's grace and rescue, our hearts are always drawn towards foolishness, thinking that we know better. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament would put it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, as you're looking around the world and like suspicious about everything the Bible says, maybe the thing that you should be most suspicious is about your own heart. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can make sense of that big bundle of contradictions? And so I want, I want to put it this way. The true fly in the ointment is not disruptive disordered things in the world. The fly in the ointment is not just uninvited things out there coming into your life and spoiling it. The true fly in the ointment is the foolishness and the sin that is within every human heart. Spoiling within what was intended to be beautiful and fragrant. The Bible describes the heart as being poisoned. It's desperately sick. There is something dead and decaying in there. But while it's desperately sick, we know today, and this is why we're here, that it's not beyond healing. Because the hope of the gospel is that God's ability to cleanse and renew is always going to be greater than sin's power to corrupt and ruin us. And the truth is, flies do ruin the ointment, and folly does outweigh wisdom, but the power of sin and foolishness is no match for the power of God's mercy and forgiveness, a cleansing and healing that meets us in our desperate state, a savior that is willing to enter in to the stench of our experience in order to restore us. What I want to do is I want us to consider here for a moment these little glimpses of Jesus that we find in this passage. It's a strange, obscure, all-over-the-place passage, but if you look at it through the lens of Christ, you begin to see little glimmers of light and hope. For instance, Jesus, though rich, descended into the low places. Jesus was the king that became a child, Jesus was the prince that chose to be treated like a slave servant. Jesus willingly fell into the pit or the grave reserved for us. Jesus took the bite of the serpent on the cross. That's a whole other story for a different day. Ask someone sitting next to you. Jesus was pierced and torn by sharp iron. He came down into the lowest of human experiences. Jesus entered into our, the, the fallout of our human folly so that we could be raised up with him into new life through his resurrection. And through faith in this Jesus who bled and died for our cleansing and rose again on the third day for our restoration, we are made new. We receive new hearts We receive new affections. We receive new motivations to live, a new identity, a new beauty. Purified, refined, cleansed, the fragrance restored. And it's this newness that we have the opportunity to celebrate today in just a few moments through the sacrament of baptism. As our brother and sister will be plunged beneath the waters of baptism symbolizing the old man and the old woman being buried with Christ and the new man and the new woman being raised anew with him. Amen? One final brief point and then I'm done. Pastor Anthony showed me up with that that quick sermon last week. I I gotta be on my toes today. One last point, redirecting our hearts. So here's a question if your heart is what is directing you, then what is directing your heart? And Jesus answered this very question when he said in Matthew chapter, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, "For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." In other words, your heart will be directed by what you treasure most, by what you treasure most. Now, I'm a sucker for treasure hunting movies, Indiana Jones, come on, uh, National Treasure, Nick, Nick Cage's best movies he's ever made, the only good movies he's ever made, Face Off was pretty good too, uh, Oh Brother, Where Out Thou, Goonies, come on, I was raised on this stuff, I'm a sucker for these treasure hunting movies, but if you think about it, they're all variations of the same story. People who are willing to go to the ends of the earth, willing to sacrifice everything, willing to put their lives at risk, running after the prize, why? Because where their treasure is, their heart will be also. And we're inspired by these stories. We're inspired by these these people that come across some sort of knowledge, some sort of hidden clue that then changes their lives forever, that calls them out of the monotony and into a life of risk and great reward. But the truth is we've been invited into a more inspiring story. One that is centered on the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ, who is not, by the way, buried in some remote location across the world, but who has risen and has come to find us. Friend, We can never change the direction of our own lives. You can't do that. And we will never be able to turn from paths of foolishness to paths of life and flourishing until we are steered by something greater. It's what's called the effectual power or the expulsive power of a new affection. And so here's my prayer for us today May Jesus be your everything, may Jesus captivate your heart. May Jesus draw you today into faith and repentance and transformation. May Jesus lead you on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for